Welcome to the Warning Track Power Hour. I'm Andrew Scaff. He's Mike Worman. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Major League Baseball's uh, opening weekend. Um, some about the Royals specifically and their slow start. Uh, the NCAA championship is now in the books. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the NFL news in the offseason too. Uh, new baseball rules are in effect for the season. Um Anything that you noticed from the opening weekend? Do you um do you like the shorter games or the pitch clocks? It seems like the games it, are considerably shorter. It seems like the games are going faster. I I guess I I like it. I didn't. I don't necessarily mind um, games that are about three hours uh, because that seems to be how that's how long football games are. I guess yeah. since there are more baseball games uh, this season. Maybe you want them shorter, a little bit more like a basketball game rather than more like a like a football game. Mm. Um, but partly the I do and I do kind of enjoy the leisurely pace of baseball. But I guess I think it got maybe a little too um, leisurely with all the I think the long, long kind of um, you know adjustments made by each batter every time uh, yeah. a pitch was made or kind of very very deliberate uh, pitchers that didn't just kind of you know move through so i guess i i, I you know, commercials and stuff are longer than they once were so i i like um i like that they're speeding it up a little bit and especially the like early season games um games that are i guess you know um not necessarily it's not crunch time i think i think having a slower paced game is just fine maybe i i, I wonder if the playoffs are going to be as quick as these games that they are maybe that's good yeah. um I, you know but i guess you might say well if you're you know this is something maybe you experienced at the game is that well if you're at a game are the stadiums going to you know sell fewer uh drinks fewer uh food items because the game is going faster is it going no. to hurt you know vending sales or or or, or things like that or are people are people just gonna have to show up earlier to the game uh and and drink and then um, you know, like when we were kids, the Royals games started at 735 mm. that night. Uh, and then they moved earlier to 705. I think now they're 710 average because they want more pregame uh, on TV uh, at right. seven o'clock. But, um, you know, I, I wonder if game times might get moved back again, back to the good kind of old, because that would that would allow more time for people to get to the game uh, and also people maybe settling in and, and, and drinking and, and, you know, cause I, it, I think the lost revenue is not going to be um, lost on uh, a lot of the teams. I think, I think they're going to notice that, you know, if, if, if games are half an hour shorter, uh, that means, you know, especially also the, the, the early innings are going to be shorter. So there's, even if you just get there right at game time, uh, the time if you want to buy like a beer or something like that, it's you have to get it before the seventh inning. But are they going to move it to like maybe earlier because the last innings are going to be shorter than they have been before? Is the time uh, uh, going to uh, be any? any they at least won't get extended like the sometimes like the later innings. They may be like more intense, so they may take more time between pitches and can't do that right now. So mm -hmm. and and that would and that would upset I think uh, beer drinkers because then the early their beer drinking time is quick. And then those long drawn out last few innings, yeah, uh, without any uh, adjustments. So it's it's, and I wonder if like if that encourages people to really just kind of drink as also drink as much as they can as fast as they can, because they know that time. This is this is this is one problem that traditionally that um, English pubs have had, because um, in Britain traditionally the hour that pubs close has used to be eleven p.m., hmm. uh, which is pretty early uh, for a bar. And so like people would really try to drink as much as possible very, very quickly so that they could get it all done before 11. And this led to other kind of uh, problems in, uh, you know, with drunks and fights and things like that. Cause everybody, cause everybody would leave right at 11. And it's like all the bars are getting out at the same time. It's all people who have been drinking, drinking, drinking all the way up to closing time. And then suddenly they're getting pushed out and this leads to, you know, fights, urinate public urination things like that whereas if they had maybe if, if the games or if, if the pubs were open later people might not always stay out until one o'clock 
two o'clock in the morning because yeah, you know, you might feel like, well, I'm, I'm it's twelve thirty, I'm I'm ready to go home, or it's midnight, I'm ready to go home. Only the true uh, pros will stick it out till closing, right? Yeah, and those and those yeah. maybe you could say are the people that uh, you know, hold their drinks a little better than the uh, people who uh, come in and and. and drink early i don't know so I, I i think there's sometimes you can see like there there are um un, unintended consequences i guess that happen because of the shorter games that people i don't think maybe took into account really yeah so i guess after the opening weekend uh games were two hours 38 minutes it's 25 minutes faster than last season 32 minutes faster than than 2021 hmm. so, game, so, anyway so last season was shorter than 2021 yeah, they cut it down a little bit. I think because they were getting ready for this, but uh, yeah, it, it, you know, said like you can't, you're not supposed to step out of the box, stuff like that. Yeah. If you're in the in the batter's box, you're supposed to keep one foot in. That was last mm-hmm. year's change, and then the pitch clocks were there, but they weren't enforcing it, right? So like, yeah, I like I, but, but I, now I did, it's full on enforced. I do kind of like the pitch clock. I don't know. They, I guess is does the new signaling system. Does that make a difference? I think it's not, it's it not should, for this year, but it's it should it should um you know cut down on the amount of you know time it takes to like shake off a signal, make the next one, and it should be more you know rapid to make the decision as to which pitch to throw between the catcher and pitcher because they can just think, signal yeah. back and forth. This was something I think yeah. was mentioned with Zach Grinky. Does this does this mean do you think like, when I guess they introduced this this system last year or the year mm-hmm. before? Um, does this mean that pitchers will call more games now than in the years in years past? So, I saw it more of a collaborative the catchers thing. were wearing the device before, but there were a couple pitchers, I think, that actually had the device. You just tell the catcher what he's going to throw. And then he doesn't have to have the conversation if the pitchers mm-hmm. weren't making the decision anyway. So, yeah, I, I thought that Grinky waved himself, would, would, would uh, uh, wave himself off from his pitches and he changed his mind. Was that, was that? true was that something that i made in, 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 i wouldn't be surprised uh, i i thought that was uh in some uh 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 his own uh shook off his own signal oh maybe that was in the in that little clip that, that i sent you even yes yeah he shook off a pitch call that he had made so yeah he made... Ricky was calling his pitches in spring, uh, maybe, in or... spring. yeah yeah um he also has in the past told pitchers or told hitters what he's going to throw yeah, uh, because he's uh, you know unique, I guess we could say, and a true competitor. He's like, I'll tell you what I'm. I'm even going to tell you what I'm going to throw. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and mind he, games. Yeah, he likes to play those mind games, uh, and he's also just I think doesn't really care about protocol or what uh, other people want to do. So it's it's an, yeah, he's a character, but he had a good. He pitched a good game in opening today but the royals lost two to nothing they lost two to nothing again second day they lost what was the third they lost three three in a row the twins yeah it was like seven to four i think a lot the third game four. i don't know if we want to talk about the royals now or do we want to we might bring them up later but they so far they're they haven't um followed through on their fast uh spring training start they kind of continued no. the later spring training slump but uh do you have any any uh thoughts about how the games have gone so far yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention a few things too about the um, the new rules anyway. Oh, okay, yeah, let's go for the new rules. Yeah, but if if you were concerned about the number of violations that there were gonna be, like per game, like a, the pitch clock mm-hmm. or the hitters not making you know enough eye contact with the pitcher beforehand, there were forty one pitch timer violations in the opening weekend, so less than one per game at least anyway. So it's not uh, okay. it's not being it's not it's not been a big factor at least in the game. So nothing nothing in a really um, you know, game deciding point either. So a little more than like box per game. I don't know how many box per game uh, are usually called. It's it's the same penalty, isn't it? A pitch time or it's a strike? Is it automatic? It's a striker ball, yeah. Depending on it's not it's not a runner moves on base, so it's it's a little right. But it could, I guess, I guess it could if if it's if it's a full count, then whichever one they the uh, umpire says like, oh, the batter's not in the box early enough. You know, mm-hmm. then it's a strikeout, but I don't think that really came up anyway. Yeah, nothing, it's, nothing it's you know, amazing. nothing with two outs in the ninth. That, none of that kind of thing came up, at least yet. It looks like uh, pitchers were charged um, with violations twenty nine times. To hitters were eleven, and like one catcher got a violation. Oh, one catcher! I was going to ask because that only adds up to forty. Uh, so yeah. I was 
So I guess 30 of them are on the defense and only well, 11. Yeah, so so I, was, I, I was just going to ask. surprising. But 41 isn't bad. You, I was kind of wondering how it was going to play out. Um, if it was going to be a lot of violations in the first weekend, because it's kind of new, mm-hmm. were the umpires going to be like incredibly strict or were the players just going to like, a, you know, kind of, you know, incorporate it really quickly and, and not have, you know, a lot of violations. I and mean, it seems like it's, you know, being taken up fairly well. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah i think that's i think maybe it's just a new world that we're in and it's not it's not necessarily terrible in terms of the pitch count uh the pitch a pitch clock and yeah as, i think as long as i think it's not just maybe if it's not just pitchers getting called if there are some batting violations i think um i i, I like that idea better so like if it, i guess you, you can think oh it's not just in favor of the offense has uh the shift uh rules have that have those uh changed anything is that something you've noticed i don't know if there's much enough data on that to really say much about it yet i haven't seen anything that says anything about the shift itself yeah i guess the royals have played their early games were very low scoring hmm. um although traditionally when it's april or late March it's in the games I think are lower scoring because the weather is cooler but mm-hmm. it hasn't it's been warm though in Kansas City the last it's yeah been much warmer than it than it was the previous month basically it warmed up just in time for baseball yeah it's been warm here in Pennsylvania as well so yeah. the uh do you feel com- confident comfortable with your over under uh picks after I was just, uh, just a few weeks of action and uh uh, nobody nobody is uh either so good or so terrible that uh you know we have to like be concerned or confident in our picks i think yet yeah. most of the teams are like two and two or three and two right now and not uh there aren't too many teams that are blowing it out yeah, Tampa is the only undefeated team i think at this very moment anyway and the phillies are the only team without a win at the old four yeah, they've really, they've really, yeah, they have a negative twenty-five run differential in four games. That's not hard great. To do. Hard to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the Royals. Ideal. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think right now the Tigers are tied to the Royals at one and three, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how things finish out tonight. But the Tigers' run differential is minus seventeen, whereas the Royals is only minus three. So yeah, uh, my under, maybe my under for the Tigers uh, is. Looking okay, given given that my Pirates over their five hundred right now, so maybe that might be, uh, not terrible. They haven't lost it yet. Yeah. Um, Royals over Boston over. Yeah, I think they're all still. Of course, it's only been uh, less than a week, so they're all going to be still in the five. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Nope. Um, none, of, none of our teams started like zero and five or. Five yeah, we haven't. Five. We haven't had like the was it the eighty eight Orioles. Uh, that fit were like 0 and 20 something. Do you remember that? That was that's that's just so hard to start that way, and then your season's basically over before you've even gotten out of the first month. Yeah, the Orioles were 90, it was 88, it was 88 0 and 21. Yeah, 88. So, no, last year, Phillies can start that way and. Last seem- year the uh Reds started three and twenty-two. Ooh. Uh so I think that's like the worst. Uh you know, there's a lot of I was I was just looking at the worst records starting at MLB season. There's a lot of Royals teams on that list. Um <laughs> 2006 yeah. Royals, 2005 Royals. Um those were some teams to follow, that's for sure. Um I don't think we have to worry quite as much about that right now. But um, yeah. So, are you? Uh, what any any other baseball tidbits that we should be aware of? I was gonna say the um, the bases though. Apparently, large bases. Yeah. Um, have increased steals a bit. Not a whole lot. Yeah, there are one one point four steals per game combined between the two teams of each. Do you game. think? Do you think the pitch clock has anything to do with it also, or is it just yeah, well, and, and especially slightly the, larger um, bases? Well, and, and the limited throwovers to first, mm-hmm. um, you know, the batter could take or the runner could take off on the third attempt mm-hmm. or be awarded second base if they, you know, get back in time. Um, 
So, but I, I guess um, the Orioles took advantage of the bases initially, and they had 10 steals in the first two games of the season themselves. Hmm. 10 steals. Not like bad. The, uh, uh, Royals of the 80s or the St. Louis Cardinals of the, uh, the 80s. Basically. So Willie McGee and Vince Coleman. And uh, yeah, 85% success on stolen bases through the first 50 Major League Baseball games. Which is um, higher than previous years. But again, very early. Do you know which team has the most stolen bases in a season? Team? Yeah. It's one of the teams we actually talked about last week. Yeah. We were talking about uh, old nicknames. Really? Yeah. Uh, This is the St. Louis Browns who became the Cardinals, 1887. They had 581 steals for 138 games. So So the 10 steals in two games is actually on pace to beat the 1887 St. Louis Browns. Um, I'm looking at right now, the only team from the 20th century on this top list is the New York baseball giants from 1911. They had 347 steals. Um, You got teams like, yeah, the old Baltimore Orioles who were, I don't know what happened to them. Um, uh, the Cincinnati Red Stockings at that point, the Kansas City Cowboys are on that list. Ooh. The Louisville Colonels are on this list. The Toledo Mommies, M A U M E E S. I have never heard of the Toledo Mommies. Uh, Do you even know what a mommy is? There is a like a like a river or a like a city in Ohio called Mommy. Um, I'm looking at them right now. Mommies. Um, were formed in 1888. They formed part of the Tri-State League and then the International Association, which is what I believe the um, uh, was kind of a minor league team. I think that's also the team that the uh, maybe the Kansas City Cowboys might have played in at one point. But yeah, it was actually called the International Association because there were teams in Canada uh, as well. But uh, the Maumees were... Um. Yeah, I guess they weren't around very long. They also were sometimes known as the Toledo Black Pirates, and it's great. Uh, their best player or their best pitcher was a guy named Egyptian Healy, John J. Egyptian, or sometimes called Long John Healy. He was called Long John because he weighed 158 pounds and he was six feet two just tall so i guess that was tall for back then uh, but he was he played for the st louis maroons indianapolis hoosiers the washington old washington nationals chicago white stockings toledo mommies those white stockings became the became the cubs the old baltimore orioles and the louisville colonels none of these teams are around <laughs> any longer those old yeah. baltimore um, Orioles were in the National League, but I guess they folded, and that's why the later Baltimore Orioles. Um, okay, I'm not exactly sure. Oh, the uh, it says the Orioles. Oh, those Orioles they moved to uh, New York uh, as part of the agreement or something like that. They think they kind of died out, but then they moved. Oh, there was the newly formed AL Baltimore Orioles. And then they moved to New York to become the um, uh, New York Highlanders, then New York Yankees. So. Oh, so that was a, another precursor to the Yankees. Yeah. But this, I guess the original Baltimore Orioles were not, they, they folded right before. And then when the American league was found, formed, they, there was a new Baltimore Orioles. And then after a year or two, they left and went to New York. Okay. Uh, because I guess there was no team, uh, there was no American League team in New York. There were only the Dodgers and the Giants. So they brought, yeah. they wanted to, they wanted to even up, I guess, the leagues. Uh, and so Baltimore got. You would think that you know they want to keep a team in Baltimore, maybe, so they would like switch one of the National League teams and move 
but I guess New York uh, gets its way and it wants to get its way. So uh, another another trip down uh, baseball memory lane. I'm gonna look. Uh, yeah, mommy. It's um, it's another name maybe for the Miami Indians. Yeah, but also geologically speaking, there is a what's called Lake Mommy. And it is the ancestral lake of current day Lake Erie. Hmm. And I guess the Ice Age changed how things were. Um, so uh, at one point, 14,000 years ago, ice covered most of the Great Lakes, except for what's now the southern tip of Lake Michigan, which was called by geologists, I guess now, Lake Chicago. And uh, part of Lake Erie, which they called Lake Maumee uh, geologically. So Lake Superior, Lake Huron, Lake Ontario, and most of um, Lake Michigan uh, were covered uh, by ice. And then as the ice left, they, they called Lake Michigan 9,000 years ago. They call it what's called Lake Algonquin. And then it shrinks and becomes Lake Chippewa. And now it's Lake Michigan. So I, I that's interesting. I had never, I guess I'd, I'd never known the history of glacial history of the Great Lakes. And I don't think any other sports uh, podcast will, will will discuss the history, the glacial histories of the Great Great Lakes, along with the uh, Toledo Maumees, M-A-U-M-E-E-S. So um, just the warning track power hour. So yeah, this, yeah, it was the most stolen bases um, is. Yeah, since 1900, as I said, the most stolen bases was the 1911 Giants. Um, within the last 50 years, so only two teams of the last 50 years have uh, been among the stolen base leaders, um, and that is the 1976 Oakland A's. And the 1985 St. Louis Cardinals, who we kind of mentioned with Ozzy, Ozzy, uh, Ozzy Smith and Vince Coleman and Willie was Ricky Henderson then in the Ricky Henderson. I uh, I would guess played for the A's in '76. Did he? Yeah, must was have. His, yeah. Was that his rookie year? Maybe. Probably. Um. Let's see. I know, maybe not. It was earlier than Ricky Henderson. 79 was his rookie year. Yeah, so it was three years earlier. Um, it was right after they stopped winning the World Series, the Oakland. Yeah. Because uh, they won, 70, I think, 72, 73, 74. And so who are – so let's see, the Oakland A's at that point. Um, they still had eh, some decent – Billy Williams, Claudel Washington, Don Baylor – uh, How many steals did that team have? They had that team had 341 steals. Wow, they had an 87 74 record. I guess they didn't make up one game that was rained out. Uh, the Cardinals had 314 steals, the 1911 New York Giants had 347. So that's the high. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, since all the other um high stealing teams. We're from the dead ball era. Well, if you go farther down, there's the 86 Cardinals and the 77 Pirates. So the 70s and 80s kind of ushered in another kind of stolen base, mini stolen base era. But um, yeah, Phil Garner had 35 stolen bases. Burt Campanaris, 54. Sal Bando, 20. Bill North, 75. Claudel Washington, 37. Don Baylor had 52 stolen bases. Think of how big and hefty we think of Don Baylor as being, but he had 52 right. stolen bases in the 70s. He was, I believe, probably also the, uh, he had 20 hit by pitches. He was, uh, for a long time at least, he was the, he held the major league record for being hit by the hit, hit by pitches uh, the most. I don't, uh, I don't, I wonder, has that changed? Did that change? Oh, I don't know. Um, Um, uh, I'm not sure either. I want to say I, I want to think it has, and somebody else. Oh, Craig Biggio, yeah, Craig Biggio passed it. Okay, for career. Yeah, 
Although he was up, there's, he was up there's to the been doubles too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Big Bitch, you had 285. Huey Jennings, it says, was hit by a pitch 287 times. Although he retired in 1918, which is an interesting career. Do the record for being hit by a pitch in a single season is? Uh, 40, I'm going to guess. I don't know. Well, is this, wait, is this pitcher? Is this hit by pitch? As, oh, this is as a pitcher. The most batters hit by a single pitcher was 54. <laughs> okay. Oh, here it is. Huey Jennings was hit by a pitch 51 times in 1896, which is a record that still stands. It says, Huey Jennings was interesting because it looks like he retired in 1903, and then he decided to go back to school. Um, he first went, to, so he played at this point uh, for the Brooklyn Superbas, who we mentioned last week. Uh, he played for Brooklyn and Philadelphia and the Phillies, um, the Louisville Colonels, the old Baltimore Orioles, <laughs> so these teams that keep coming back up for us. Huey Jennings. Um, so he uh, was playing for the Orioles. He decided he and John McGraw as well, who was famous manager later, both took classes at St. Bonaventure University in upstate New York. And then he Jennings was accepted to Cornell Law School. And he went to Cornell after he retired, and he managed the Cornell baseball team while he was at Cornell Law School. Really? He uh, never finished his law degree, but he, but he did pass the Maryland bar exam and started a law practice in Baltimore and also Scranton, Pennsylvania. But then in 1907, he decided... He was going to be the manager of the Detroit Tigers, uh, who had uh, Ty Cobb, Sam Crawford, some of those early great uh, players. And um, he was supposedly a very good uh, manager, but he also, I guess, inserted himself into a few games every now and again because um, his last, so he retired, it looks like, from 1903 to go to law school, but he, but he played as late as 1918. Really? Was manager from 1907 to 1920. Uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting. Um, the stats are, yeah, he oh, actually he got into a game in 1918, it says as well, as a player manager. No wow. uh, plate appearances, though. So he his last at bat was in 1912. Okay. At the age of 43, but he did get into a game in, at the age of 49 in 1918. So he retired at 34, and then he played sparingly a game here and there for the Tigers while he was their manager. Like, <laughs> I guess when players were hurt or something, and he decided to just put himself in the game. Um, back when player managers weren't weren't, un, weren't uncommon. But that's a strange, really strange career. So, yeah. Huey Jennings. He's a Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Famer. Is he? Yeah, uh, yeah. He led the league and hit by pitch for five consecutive years. Uh, <laughs> is that is that something you would be proud of? From eighteen ninety four to eighteen ninety eight, he led the league. Two hundred eighty seven career hit by pitches. Uh, so yeah, he still technically has the record over Craig Biggio's two eighty five, who beat Don Baylor's modern day record. So yes. um, there we have it. Yes. <laughs> and um uh during uh and it says Huey Jennings, he was famous for his antics on the uh, uh while well, he was he was the manager, but he was also the third base coach at the time. And he would yell out all sorts of other whoops and whistles. Uh and he uh his 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 famous cheer was yeah I guess was what he yelled but a very sometimes a very high voice I suppose he was actually um, suspended for taunting opponents with a tin whistle uh, I guess that he kept in his pocket so he was um, known for his yeah there's a, there's a I guess there's apparently there's um, yeah he was but he was also a very good uh, coach um, yeah so. That's Huey Jennings. All right, we're, 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 I think that's enough baseball, probably for unless uh, unless there's some other new uh, rule that we've we've uh, need to discuss. 
like that. That was that was all I had on. on okay. Uh, the I guess that was the bigger bases. And then we got to more most stolen bases, and then we got eventually into Huey Jennings. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, but Don Baylor was the uh, the original um, hit by pitch leader. At least when I was a kid, that's who he always said was the leader in being hit by pitch. Actually, he led the league one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in being hit by the hit by a pitch. Wow. 267. Um and he had a 30 he was hit by a pitch 35 times in 1986 when uh leading on the Boston Red Sox helping them to win the pennant that year. Uh of course they because Bill Buckner uh lost uh or helped lose it. Uh but Don Baylor was um uh their uh yeah, he was he was on that team. Uh as well, he bought at yeah. He had a two thirty eight um, batting average, but a three forty four on base percentage. <laughs> Helped in part, I'm sure, by those thirty five hit by pitches. <laughs> yes, must be. Uh... And he had uh, he was intentionally walked eight times as well uh, as part of his um, sixty two walk. So he would, uh, yeah. So he yeah, that's. Yeah, that's an interesting career that Baylor had. And, of course, he became a very successful manager as well. We uh, wrap up our uh, NCAA tournament brackets sure. betting contest challenge. Yes, as we should do that. We... Uh, um, Neither of us, as we said before, got any of the final four teams right uh, in most of our brackets for the men. But you did get Florida Atlantic uh, in one of your brackets, although Florida Atlantic did not uh, advance and you wouldn't didn't pick them to advance anyway. So yeah. those brackets were determined already. And one of my brackets, um, actually my kind of more straightforward bracket, were, uh, which uh, was, was the winner. I think it ended up actually being, even though it was we none of the final four teams were correct, it still ended up the, in the 88th uh, percentile. Not bad. In the in the in the men's uh, bracket pool on ESPN, our uh, our we also did make some special final four bets. I bet on all the teams but UConn, and you ended up betting on the individual national semifinal games. Yeah. So I lost an additional two hundred dollars. Uh, to go with my eight hundred dollars that I, I had bet and lost on Final Four uh, possibilities, so I lost a thousand fake dollars on these NCAA tournaments. Though I did, as we'll talk about, uh, I won. I guess I technically won our bracket competition, and I also would win the women's bracket competition. But I did not win any any of the uh, straight betting competitions. So, how did you you ended up? Uh, how did you end up on your uh, Final Four? Did you tie? Did you lose a thousand dollars like me, or did you uh, end up slightly better? Slightly better. I've been I've been on both favorites in the semifinal games, um, with the spreads. And San Diego State did win, but they failed to cover the spread by the one and a half points. Yeah, they only won by one. They only won by one, so they so I lost that bet. I I um, still think if Florida Atlantic had beaten them, they could have given UConn uh, more of a game more. than than. Um, San Diego State did, but UConn was, I guess, a worthy champion. They beat everybody fairly soundly, and they beat some pretty good teams on their way. They beat Arkansas, they beat uh, Gonzaga, uh, Miami, uh, who had beaten uh, Texas and uh, Houston, both, I think. So, yeah, uh, it's so there were some, you know, impressive wins, and I think they won every game by at least. Um, 15 points almost it seemed like 13 i think was the 13 goal. points but but still double digits for for every game mm-hmm. for the whole tournament and actually all of their non-conference games for the entire season they won by double digits oh so they only lost in big east play yeah which is pretty impressive uh but uh yeah how did the uh women's brackets fare yeah, the women's bracket. So, um, most notably, the biggest uh, event, I guess, of the tournament was South Carolina losing to Iowa in the national semifinals. Uh, 
Uh, Caitlin Clark had a real big game again. I think she scored 41 points in the second consecutive or second consecutive game. Um, and Iowa won, LSU won the other semifinal, and then LSU won in the finals over uh, Iowa. And uh, your favorite uh, fashion personality, Kim Mulkey, won her her fourth national title overall as a coach, but with her second school because she had led Baylor uh, to national championships uh, three times earlier in this century. What did you think of uh, the game? Uh, what what did they you know they again LSU uh, ended up beating uh, national player of the year Caitlin Clark uh, fairly uh, handily. Uh, it was close through most of the game and they pulled away kind of in the third and fourth quarter. Um, really high scoring game too because LSU finished with over a hundred points in the in the game too, which is pretty rare for a women's basketball game. But yeah, they made a lot of threes finals basketball game right yeah yeah very good game uh i the only yeah the only as i i think i i don't know if i implied it or not yeah the only uh i wanted iowa to win that would have uh i i actually ended up winning our bracket pool because iowa beat south carolina thus preventing any of your south carolina brackets yes. from winning and since iowa none of us had picked lsu to win so my iowa bracket uh where i, I had picked iowa to win uh which was what i called the best um kind of best player right bracket. it ended up um being our our winning uh, our, our winning bracket and it was actually in the 98th percentile yeah wow. so uh that was my best and then we were um we had you were actually had your 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 set you were second place in that one you were 93rd percentile with uh your national your, your actual matchup picks were a little bit higher mm-hmm. uh, than my guesses were because i picked uconn to win i picked uconn to win the wrong tournament uh i picked i picked them to win the women's tournament and they ended up winning the men's tournament there you go and so now uconn so you're um, into the crystal ball but it was some something it was, was a little too cloudy and it was you, too you cloudy assumed that there, you assumed that you were reading the results for a different question, apparently. Yeah, I, I think. Been yeah, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. So UConn's men's team is almost as successful now as its women's team since they've won five national championships since 99, I think. So uh, three under Jim Calhoun and uh, two since. Uh, first, this is the first one under Danny Hurley, famous for being a member of the. Hurley family. Uh, I remember disliking his brother Bobby Hurley as a kid when he was Duke's uh, point guard. Right. I don't know if you remember him, but yeah, um, yeah. Bobby Hurley is currently the uh, head coach at Arizona State. Oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. And his brother and their dad was a longtime basketball coach. I know. I remember that. Uh, Hall of Fame high school coach Bob Hurley. Uh, he was a coach in New Jersey for many years. So, uh, but UConn uh, won the men's tournament. Um, uh, LSU, LSU uh, won the women's. Uh, any any further thoughts about uh, LSU uh, or Kim Mulkey uh, in particular, her uh, fashion choices? Uh, I think that's the most uh, notable thing. I think it even overshadows her success as a basketball coach is her awful awful style uh and i think it's just an it's a thing thing to like tune into the game it's like a reason to check out the game it's just to see what what you know what she's wearing i guess right so yeah if it's a sport if if people were making sports analogy what she wears is much more similar to what uh like we like off before the we started this broadcast we talked about uh rick flair or uh macho band randy savage or dusty Rhodes uh would 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 wear in there uh, on their way to the ring, or maybe something like it's also a little bit like what uh, the '80s manager, like Bobby the Brain Keenan or Jimmy Hart, would have worn those kind of uh, you know s- uh, you know sequined suits and and things like that. So it's a um, I yeah, she's a colorful character. I, I I don't like her, but she's a colorful character. But do, but do, <laughs> are her uh, fashion choices going to influence you as to what you will begin to wear for future Warden Crack Power Hour? episodes um possibly but probably not uh she yeah i don't have uh i don't have any i guess i'd have to go buy a sequined jacket or 
you know, maybe if Richard Simmons dies, he might have a funereal sale of some sort. Uh, and then he's probably smaller than I wouldn't be able to. Uh, but you know, that'll be a, a way to to acquire outfits like that. I bet maybe Kim Mulkey, maybe she is going to uh, uh, acquire the Richard Simmons uh, wardrobe, the whole, the whole collection. Yeah, the Liberace, the Liberace Richard Simmons uh, uh, type ensembles that she likes to wear, but. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I thought Iowa had the best player, but I guess LSU had the best team this year, and uh, yeah, they they were number three seed, they, but they had only lost two games all year, which yeah, is surprising. Really crazy. It seems like they were under seeded. Yeah, especially you know having made it to the finals and then winning. So yes, now looking back in hindsight, yeah, they've. Um, it seems very strange that they were only a. Um, yeah, only a only a. T- Three seed, um, yeah, they only lost one game in the SEC. That was to South Carolina, and they were, yeah, interesting. Oh, and so one of the losses was to South Carolina. So, I guess probably both of the losses. I would guess the SEC tournament they probably lost to South Carolina too. Maybe so they would have had to because uh, they've only lost. Well, maybe they did. Let's see. They could have lost earlier, I guess. Yeah, let's. I guess they could have lost earlier. Let's see. Um, schedule. So they lost at South Carolina. Um, February twelfth, eighty-eight to sixty-four. Oh no, they lost in the semifinals of the SEC tournament. You were right to Tennessee, sixty-nine to sixty-seven. So I guess that's probably what cost them like a higher seed, but it still seems a little bit uh, silly that they weren't higher. But anyway, so, but Tennessee was in the tournament though too, were they? Yeah, uh, they were a three also, I think. They lost twelve games this year. Jeez, so, yeah. How, yeah. How is that? I don't understand how the seating works. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Tennessee, Tennessee had a very good um, SEC season, but they had lost a bunch of games. Apparently, in the off season, where they played, I guess a lot of tough teams. But uh, they lost to Ohio State. They lost to Indiana, both of whom were top two seeds. Um, but they lost a couple other games. They lost Virginia Tech, who was the number one seed. They lost to Stanford, who was another number one seed. So they had a very tough schedule uh, in their off season. Um, yeah, but yeah, they lost to Virginia Tech twice. They actually lost in this week's game. So, well, t- Tennessee uh, was a four seed in the NCAA tournament. A four, okay. Yeah, this seems strange that LSU was so low then as a three. Yeah. But maybe they thought the SEC was pretty weak this year. In women's basketball, must have been. I I, I didn't follow it closely enough to, yeah. uh, to notice, but um, yeah, but so, multiple brackets in the 90, 90s percentile. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, are you surprised we did better overall? I think in the women's bracket, women's side than the men's side, or was it simply just a matter of lots of upsets lead to lots of chaos? And I think our our brackets on the men's side were still like in the fifties. I think for despite having the tournament go so crazy on average yeah yeah so um but yeah i think that just in general i think the women's brackets seem to follow more chalk than than the men's do and i think we we didn't pick as many upsets in the women's side as we did in the men's and the men's different upsets are what what actually happened from what we were expecting at least anyway um so no i'm not really surprised that we did better in the women's brackets but my my question to you would be having gone through this exercise with all the different methodologies is it going to is it going to change your 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 math your um future picking in uh either either side men's or women's side you were in the 98th percentile for women yeah i was good on the go off of the um the best best player player was actually a good seemed to be at least it worked out this year yeah uh it worked out pretty well i think I might think about that next year. Um, I might think of that on the men's side as well, uh, looking at it with the best player as... Uh, Apparently, maybe it was non-conference schedule may have been the best indicator on the men's side because UConn mm-hmm. was undefeated in out-of-conference games. Maybe that's maybe more important. I think, and uh, South Carolina, I mean, not South Carolina, LSU was undefeated in non-conference uh, as well this year. Uh, but I don't think they really played. 
anybody non-conference. Yeah, they play. I guess that's probably also why they were seated lower. They played absolutely nobody who was ranked in the non-conference. Okay. Schedule. Um. Yeah, their their teams include Bellarmine, Mississippi Valley State, Western Carolina, Houston Christian, Northwestern State, uh, George Mason, UAB, Southeastern Louisiana, Tulane, Lamar, Montana State, Oregon State. So one team from a Power Five yeah, conference. Yeah, so I guess that's why they were seated low. If we want to, must be. But they ran through the yeah. So they were probably. I guess they were punished for their poor non-conference. I guess uh, so. Fiddle. Whereas you know Tennessee played all these good teams. So, and I think I think South Carolina also had a pretty good uh, non-conference schedule. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if we I really learned anything because everything was crazy. And we all we know is that it's going to be weird probably. And if we do pick upsets, it's probably not going to be the right upsets. Yeah. So I guess it just kept me maybe just thinking I'll just go straight forward and use my own instincts. With the same sort of history that you've um, picked brackets in the past. Yeah. or I I think perhaps also uh, we did learn that the Sagarin and Pomeroy ratings were better um, in the second round. Maybe that's also something to think about for the final four. Mm-hmm. Because it ended up being kind of chalky, yeah. At least on the men's side, uh, the women's side doesn't have the computer ranking um, attention that uh, the men do, so it's not it's not as easy to gauge. Uh, but I think the best players the best players are good, and like I think just tr- picking traditional powers is probably good as well, and kind of remembering also who the coaches are. And now I guess that LSU has uh, Bill Baylor coach uh, Kim Mulkey that you know they're probably going to be pretty good usually. So. Um, I think most of the top players from both programs are back next year too. So the maybe the beginning of a big rivalry. Yeah, here too. Yeah, and I guess there's there's no reason for the uh, you know women to declare early for the WNBA, especially given the fact that NIL money for people mm. like Caitlin Clark is a lot of he is, is quite yeah. A bit. Seems like they'll actually make more money in college than they will in the pros. Which is a, little, a bit unfortunate, I think, in some ways. But well, I guess they'll have sell. I guess they'll have similar kind of nil money or or um, other kind of um, you know non uh, contract uh, endorsement money uh, in 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 the WNBA. But it's a yeah, it's an interesting world. Uh, UConn, I don't. I guess they're going to be mostly back next year yeah, too. In the, on the men's side, sure. I thought. Um, and. Yeah, UConn's main team, main guys. It seems like we're mostly yeah, a couple seniors, but uh, most of their uh, really good players, I think, were under last month. Um, In case you were following, the uh, Royals did just go to final um, at a four-one loss. And so now they are one and four. four. Yes, mirroring the score from today. Uh, but uh, Araldus Chapman did pitch the top of the ninth for the Royals, and he did um, hit 101 or higher on six consecutive pitches. Okay. Did he allow any runs? Was it, it was three? Did he give up a um a, a walk, but uh, otherwise uneventful? Ground out, what? ground out, walk, strikeout line out and that's possible that's promising possibly in years to come so i'm i feel yeah or i mean day, in in uh weeks and months to come for a world of chapman maybe getting on his getting back to what he once was a dominant flamethrower and maybe if the rails aren't so good they could turn him into something at the deadline or you know use him as a closer uh mm-hmm. going forward so yeah and from reyes another uh he hit his home he hit his first home run today uh, 455 feet, right over the, over the over the water spectacular. Yes, into, into the, into the uh, fountain seats above the fountain in, in left field. Yeah, it's impressive. Hopefully, yeah. the Royals' record will become uh, as impressive as Fernando Reyes's um, gargantuan home run shots. But yeah, uh, uh, we haven't talked to the NFL about the NFL yeah um 
maybe that we can conclude with a brief, brief uh, football uh, mention. Uh, nothing's really seemed to happen on the Chiefs front. No free agent signings that we haven't talked about before. Um, no, re no new contracts uh, or anything like that. Uh, it seems like maybe the people are thinking the Chiefs still might get a, another wide receiver, whether it's Odell Beckham or De maybe DeAndre Hopkins is available or something. But uh, it seems like they're waiting for the draft, as are most mm. teams. Uh, but it was made news today that apparently uh, the Bills, I mean the Bills, uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots are shopping uh, Mac Jones, Michael McCorkle Jones. Do you think the Patriots should get rid of Mac Jones. Uh, they already have Bailey Zappi, who, as we've talked about, is probably just as good and um, maybe less annoying than Mac Jones. And uh, they look very similar in and out of uniform, I assume. So, and I guess Mac Jones is was been complaining about uh, coaching and the, the team, and and Bailey Zappi hasn't. So I guess uh, would you would you if you were uh, the Patriots, would you try to get rid of Jones? Uh, it's only he's a first round draft pick. It's only been two years, but would do you, would you get rid of Jones if you could? I mean, it seems like if if you can shop him and you've got a you know a similar option uh, for less less money, I assume too, um, that you may as well try. Why why not? I mean, if you're not successful, it doesn't really hurt anything, right? Because He's already annoying anyway, I guess, right? So yeah, <laughs> it's, I think it's one of those things where if you don't have a really, really, really good quarterback, yeah, it it it, it doesn't. You're always really looking to upgrade or or move yeah. stuff around if you can, right? Yeah, I don't think there's really that much a difference between. Yes, maybe we'll find out this year. Bill O'Brien, the new offensive coordinator, new slash old offensive coordinator for uh, yeah. Patriots, comes back and does something with Mac Jones or Zappy. Uh, whoever wins the wins the job, but like, yeah, I don't. I think you, if you think they'll find interest for him around the league, um, I would maybe maybe Tampa Bay. They're picking not quite early, you know, maybe not early enough to draft a first really good first round guy. One of the top like three yeah. quarterbacks that are expected to come out yeah. of the draft. Yeah, maybe have him challenge Baker Mayfield or something. Um, yeah, but you wouldn't well, trade a whole lot for somebody that you're not no. planning on being a starter so yeah like atlanta maybe since they weren't willing to go with um try to get lamar jackson maybe they can get mac jones having to compete with desmond ritters like the people who i think the teams that that seem like oh uh, lamar jackson's too much but maybe we're not going to draft somebody in the first round this year and we have a kind of mediocre starter in place maybe those teams might go after him but i don't i don't know how much i'm because you know he he was even though he was a first round draft pick he was he was not considered to be the best quarterback coming out of the draft coming into the draft or uh, um, his year so or you think well if he's really good he he would have shown flashes of brilliance but it's just sort of been flashes of competence I guess yeah I, you know like maybe you'd rather actually have Zach Wilson or somebody like that than. Mac Jones, who's maybe maybe best case scenario is uh Derek Carr, maybe you would say, or Kirk Cousins, Garoppolo. I don't know what his ceiling is. Yeah. It's not Justin Herbert or uh Trevor Lawrence or somebody like that. It's yeah, it's somebody Geno Smith, maybe somebody like that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think Zappy has that same ceiling, and if he's not a jerk uh, in the locker room, maybe just keep him. In general, you don't need two of the same guy though as your yeah, for you know for anything, right? Because you you, yeah. you kind of want to have a change of pace backup that's different than what your main guy is, just to you know, throw off the opposing defense if if you have to go make a change for some it's, reason. Yeah, sometimes that, that that helps. Or like you have an old guy, young guy dynamic, whether the old guy's the starter and the young guy's yeah. the backup or the old guy's the backup and the young guy's the starter. Having two young guys that are both like 
essentially interchangeable it seems like yeah but the young guy old guy usually get like there's a there's a you know running around component to it that you know the old guy's probably not going to run around a lot but he's probably going to be more careful with the ball so like you know that kind of switch usually you know leads at least some bit of confusion or at least having to like you know change up the defensive scheme against that player yeah it's it's i i I guess maybe there's still maybe you want to hold on to Mac Jones, he's the first round draft pick one more year to see if, because maybe you, you could say maybe New England had kind of a weird situation at offensive coordinator last year. There were, it wasn't like, I think it was Matt Patricia and Joe Judge who hadn't, hadn't really been, they'd been on coaches on the offensive side before, but neither had been an offensive coordinator. And so maybe having a traditional offensive coordinator will unlock the potential of Jones and show that he's better than Zappi. Yeah, if they're shopping, no, that's. I think I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think he's got a short leash in New England at the very least. Yeah, if Belichick is willing to get rid of him already, so he must be a real something or other uh, piece of work. Uh, but or also maybe maybe Belichick's losing it and he's going and he's uh, just looking for uh, some blame. Yeah, and he's maybe cantankerous and irritable, more irritable than he used to be because. He's not winning like he was, and maybe he's just getting old. I don't know, but I, I, I just don't like Mac Jones, so I assume it's Mac Jones's fault. And I like, <laughs> I, I, I like Bailey, I like Bailey Zappi because he's, uh, plucky and has, I don't know, he's got sort of sort of a Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew quality to him, I think. Um, and Mac Jones just seems like I don't know. But I thought they were the same person. How are they? Yeah, they do. They are. They are. But I guess. I don't know. I people like me. People like uh, Zappy. I don't think people like Jones. I think there's a I don't know some sort of personality uh, issue. His name is McCorkle. McCorkle. Yeah, nobody named McCorkle can succeed. <laughs> NFL. Yeah, it's like it's like have yeah those weird. I haven't really been any really weird named quarterbacks. That have done well, right? Hmm. You can think of. Um, like you like, remember Major Applewhite was a big uh deal in college. <laughs> he of course flamed out um, yeah. in the in the pros. Um I don't I, I it's hard for me to think of uh most I just of, assumed like, is he actually had achieved the rank of major. Blaine Gabbert uh didn't do so Was well. I don't know. He had a dumb name, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> all those, you wouldn't call yeah. that success, though. Um. Uh, no, not really. No. Okay. No. He was. <laughs> yeah, Blaine Gabbert. Um, didn't do so well. Uh, I think Blake Bortles was somewhat similar in his. Uh, he also had a dumb name. I think these the subjectively the people that I think have dumb names uh, haven't done as well uh, in the uh, NFL draft. So looking at current uh, like the current first round draft picks, I don't know if any of them have a really uh, dumb name. So I, I, I guess I wouldn't. Uh, I what does what does Zappy fall on that though? Well, it's kind of dumb, but it's but he's but he's not he was a fifth round pick, so I think that that makes sense. He's a he's a plucky backup at best. Yeah, um, he may have been drafted on his name. Yeah, Mac Jones is in. I guess it's a not, a, but it's he's covering up from McCorkle. So his real name is McCorkle Jones, and uh, that's uh, that's a weird name. So, um, but it's Mike though, isn't it? Yeah, but he if you if it really but he's goes by Mac. So, by his football name, his first name is McCorkle, uh, because yeah. it's a nickname from McCorkle, not from Michael. You wouldn't call it, yeah. So, yeah. so he's. Uh, well, that's gonna be more interesting than 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 Mike Jones, I guess, right? Mike Jones, I guess. Mac Jones, Mike Jones. Mike Mac, they could call him. Uh, yeah. Mikey Mac. Yeah, MM MM Jones. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but it's he's CJ Stroud, uh, but it's a weird. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I CJ short for 
something ridiculous or is it let's see i don't know that? coleridge bernard stroud the fourth Ooh, that's actually that's that's a that's a, that's a warning sign for me and <laughs> so i was thinking that stroud might be a pretty good quarterback but that name now you're downgrading it and yeah so where's the j come from did you say it was bernard well he's the fourth so i guess he's called junior junior maybe to somebody but he's he's really a fourth i think bernard would be good coleridge so interesting like for samuel taylor coleridge (laughs) maybe that's what it is maybe they were big fans of the rhyme of the ancient mariner Kublai Khan. Kublai Khan, obviously, right? And Xanadu. Uh, yeah. Kublai Khan, a stately pleasure dome decree. <laughs> Something alongside the river Alf. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe they're big. Maybe his uh, uh, great great grandparents were big romantic poetry aficionados. I don't see anything in his uh, Wikipedia entry that says it's not that. <laughs> so, until it can be proven otherwise, I'm just going to assume that he's David Drew. Well, his dad has been in jail since, so the C.S. Stroud, I guess, or, or Holders Bernard Stroud III um, has been in jail, but maybe it was for money, money laundering uh, charges or some sort of white collar uh crime and that would sort of it's a thurston howell the third type fourth yeah yeah um but interesting cj had has has had a very good career at ohio state so maybe he will uh do well he threw combined 81 touchdowns and only 12 interceptions in his uh 25 games that he started for ohio state so that's pretty good but he doesn't run it at all, so that maybe is he's much more of a pocket passer maybe than uh, Justin Fields or, or his uh, contemporaries um, are quarterback. So, Ohio State quarterbacks. Yeah, I think people think that that Stroud and Bryce Young are the more polished of the two major prospects, and Will Levis and Anthony Richardson are the more upside uh, heavy of the major prospects. So it depends on what you want to go for, more polished or higher upside. And yeah. It seems like, well, Mac Jones would have been more polished, for sure. Somebody like Mahomes was seen as a high upside guy. Josh Allen, high upside. Um, so, I mean, those are hit and miss. Pol- really polished guys. I guess you'd say Trevor Lawrence was kind of polished, but also high upside. Justin Herbert maybe more polished. Yeah. Thing. But also, it seems like he has a very high upside as well. So. Well, I guess it remains to see how how well they play in the NFL. But I'm not. I guess Bryce Young, I think, is too small, and yeah. Now that C.J. Stroud's name has been revealed, I'm not sure if he has the. Uh, uh, he's if he's a fourth, which which I think you know gives him that kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, patrician uh, uh, yeah. kind of sound. But maybe, but he also seems like he comes from a, maybe a hard scrabble. The family, so he's got kind of both of those going on. So maybe, maybe he'll, uh, uh, maybe he'll do fine. Does it does it matter that he's actually from Rancho Cucamonga, California? That's also a funny name, Rancho Cucamonga, in San Bernardino um, County. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, yeah, does that, does that affect your expectation of CJ Stroud? Um, and actually, I would say that. Being from California, it's a it's a big state for football and for recruiting and things like that. So I, that actually I think maybe helps him because he's you know like Mahomes is from Texas. A lot of the, a lot of the good quarterbacks are from those big states, um, but a lot of the if a lot of the kind of mediocre ones that turn out to be in the NFL are also from places like that, like Mac Jones, but uh, Florida. Florida and. Jacksonville apparently is where Mac Jones is from. Yeah, he's from Jacksonville. He's got to be eating him inside. That Trevor Lawrence is now the king of Jacksonville. Yeah. Speaking of uh, kings of Jacksonville, uh, 
can't think of a segue actually. So I, I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that we maybe we should wrap things up as there are no as just as there is no real king of Jacksonville. I have no real uh, segue uh, or no real uh, elegant way to to end our our weekly uh, broadcast. This one I think has stayed very much closer to our original hour long uh, goal uh, uh, than than some of our previous episodes, even with our lengthy, lengthy um, tangents down baseball memory lane or, you know, beyond anybody's memory at this point. Yeah, not, uh, not, not, not that actually our memories. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think any, nobody on earth, I think, uh, would re- at this point remembers no. even the 1911 uh, New York Giants. Uh, certainly not. Um, we'll have to have some centenarian guest on uh, to see if yeah. they've even heard of some of these guys. Maybe, yeah, certainly not Huey Jennings's playing career. Uh, maybe his late managerial career over a hundred years ago. If we have some, yeah, yeah, um, you know, centenarians uh, that are still with it enough to, <laughs> or maybe we can just find some old recordings of people remembering <laughs> Huey sure. Jennings from 1975 or something like that. But, um, yeah, well, we 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 will wrap it up closer to our one hour uh, time. Uh, this time, of course, unfortunately, the Royals have lost again, and hopefully they will turn it around by the time we meet again next week, and we'll maybe know a little bit more about the NFL, the upcoming draft, what uh, things are looking like. Maybe there'll be some moves, uh, but even if not, we'll still have things to talk about, like Toledo Maumees and the original Baltimore Orioles um, from the 1890s, so... And more McCorkle news if it comes up. And more McCorkle news. We're always up on him and Bailey Zappi. And I'm sure there'll be some Jordan Love, uh, uh, Taysom Hill news as well. Uh, but, you know, until you have, to, you have to wait until next week. Who's Who's gone into a darkness retreat since the last time we talked? Yeah, uh, the Jets still haven't. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I The longer it lasts, it seems like the less likely that there's going to be a trade made because yeah yeah then i have no idea what the packers are going to do if they still have rogers and love yeah no i don't know if it's a yeah they i think they were planning on getting rid of him finally but it seems like maybe he's not going anywhere you probably shouldn't have drafted (laughs) kicked off all of this well yeah of course they shouldn't have drafted jordan love because uh, he's well. I guess we don't know what he's going to be, but I think he's. Well, I mean, it, it it sent Rogers into this sort of odd behavior more rapidly. I think too. The uh, that's true. You know. Anyway, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of odd behavior, uh, we will be back next week with more uh, insights and witticisms and homespun anecdotes. So. Until then, I am Dr. Michael Lerman. He is Dr. Andrew Scaff. We are the Warning Check Power Hour. Please like or subscribe to our many uh, conveyances of uh, insights and uh, out of out of sight insights. Maybe I should say it. Ooh. Isn't that clever? It took Fancy. me a while to come up with that uh, turn of phrase. But uh, you'll have to wait till next week until uh, we hear more uh, clever phrases from Dr. Scaff and Dr. Warren. So until then, we bid you good day. <laughs>